Okay, before Tim comes in. So this is our passage today. It's, um, it's uh, Ephesians and uh, chapter 2, starting to read at verse 11. And the subtitle is One in Christ. Uh, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him... The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Amen. Tim. Good morning. Good morning. Anything to turn on? Hang on a second. Do that. All right, grand. Those down there. Okay. Is that still all right, John? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, so yes. Good morning. And <laughs> sorry, it's great to be to be back with you actually in Langley. So I think all the times that I've preached since uh, stopping as minister, I've uh, kind of been on Zoom. So good to be to be back here. Um, I'm sure I'll catch up with a number of you afterwards, but forgive me if we keep the pleasantries to a minimum right now, because we've got quite a lot to get through this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you'll be delighted to hear that. Um, Ali said that I've got two years to make up, so we could get two years worth of sermons. Um, so look, I'm, giving you, I'm giving you notice, because this will be a lengthy sermon, in fact long enough for there to be an interval. Um, and if you lose the thread um, or just need to have a little doze in the middle, that's absolutely fine. Hopefully it's been recorded so you can catch up with anything you miss later on. Um, the topic is reconciliation, and that's why it's going to be a lengthy sermon, because there is, oh, I mean, you, you, could, you could do a whole series on this subject, and so, so necessary in our day at the moment, um, in our country, uh, in our world. Anyway, um, I want you, oh, hopefully it doesn't come up, there should be a slide, hopefully it'll appear. Um, I want you to imagine me, first of all, um, which is not related to the slide, I want you to imagine me aged 13. 
uh, skinny. Uh, nothing changes there, really. Um, awkward, with a thatch of bouffant ginger hair. Something to change. <laughs> Zits, clumpy brown shoes. I really wasn't the coolest kid in class. But when I arrived at the school, I made friends with uh, an Asian lad, and uh, he really made me laugh, and we got on very well together. And uh, we, we, were, we were friends throughout what is now year nine. But in year 10, he became friends with a group of boys that I didn't get on with so much. Uh, they were much brasher and more rebellious uh, than I was ever going to be. Um, they, they smoked cigarettes. They left their shirts untucked. They wore white toweling socks and black slip-on shoes. And yes, that was a thing back in those days. Um, they had kind of perfected a sullen dissatisfaction with the world. So I stopped talking to my new friend because, uh, because he belonged to the other side now. We never spoke again. Our tribal allegiances kept us apart. We, we hadn't fallen out personally, you understand. Nothing had happened. It's just that fraternization between his group of cool kids and my group of nerdy kids was never going to happen. It wasn't an option. That's just how it was. So there was this breach, this division, and it was, it was never resolved. There was no reconciliation. And the friendship never restarted. Typical teenage stuff, I suppose. Uh, we grow out of it. Except a lot of the time we don't. And what should be the preserve of our teenage years actually creeps into adult life. And um, we remain tribal. Perhaps we might even say that we're more tribal these days than we have been in a long time. I mean, everyone seems so angry with everyone else. I guess the battle of five years ago between Leave and Remain, you know, during that, that the cannons were dusted down, but it feels like they've been firing regularly ever since, doesn't it? Especially on social media. Social media, the great enemy of reconciliation. Or well, social media and the pandemic, of course, which uh, keeps us apart from one another more than it should. But it always amazes me how on social media people have no qualms about taking great chunks out of each other in the public sphere. <laughs> Extraordinary. And it's been called, this division uh, that we have now in our nation, it's been called a culture war. Uh, it's a complex mix. It's a battle between uh, the old and the young, between the native and the immigrant, between the metropolitan elite and the ordinary working person, between the woke liberal do-gooder and the uh, true blue British no-nonsense type. It's a war that seeks the media because it sells papers. It's a war that seeks a lot of politicians because it secures votes. And it's a war that seems to suit a lot of the British public, who seem to be thrilled to have so much that they can be really offended about. <laughs> Tribalism, I think it's alive and well in 21st century Britain. And a kind of entrenchment is the new name of the game. Reconciliation is a bit out of fashion, I think, isn't it? So thank God that here in his church, we rise above such divisive culture wars. Except that a lot of the time, we don't. So let's look at Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 22. So this passage is all about uh, reconciliation. Let's look into this. 
So, now first things first, uh, this passage that talks about making peace and reconciliation is, 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 is working. Can I just say when I need to go forward, if you could just forward it, well, that would be great. Uh, this, is, this is about the church. So this passage um, is not a manual um, about how you deal with the person at work that you've fallen out with, or how you talk again to the long-lost relative you haven't spoken to for years. This passage is fundamentally about uh, the, the, the church. And I'm sure there are lessons in here for all situations, but it's about us as believers. Because our reconciliation and our life together, our healthy relationships, they're all founded on God's welcome of all of us into a new space. Let me just say that again. Reconciliation in the church is founded on God's welcome of all of us into a new space. Next slide, please. So let me show you how. So first of all, I just want to actually start with a passage just before ours. Um, so the first few verses of chapter 2, uh, which Neil spoke on so well just a few weeks ago. In that passage, we are pictured as being dead in our transgressions, disobedient, gratifying the desires of our sinful nature, and objects of wrath. It's a pretty bleak picture of uh, the life of the person who is living only for themselves. But verse 4 of chapter 2 says... Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive even when we're dead in transgressions. So, you know, we know this. God takes the initiative. Jesus carries away our sinfulness and suffered and died on the cross. And we, freed from the grip of sin, take on Jesus' new life, which is found in this restored relationship with God. We're reconciled with God. So it's an exchange. Our sin swapped for his life. But verse 6, this is a verse. Verse 6 says this. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So just think about that for a moment, that image. We are now seated in some sort of spiritual higher place in the presence of God, and we are there because we are in Jesus, because we are part of his body. He has gone there, therefore we have gone there. And this space is for us at least a new space. Before I followed and trusted Jesus, I, I wasn't in that space. And before you followed and trusted Jesus, neither were you either. You know, okay? So, so you and me both, we are each lifted out of the space we used to inhabit, the one with sinful desires and disobedience, and we are put down in a new space, God's own space. We are welcomed into his space. And if you just get silly about this for a moment, let's just think about this in, in uh, more uh, picture terms. So I want you to imagine that that new space is like a sports stadium. This will have relevance later. It's like a sports stadium. And on the way in, you get a ticket with a seat number. And uh, you go and find your seat, but you discover that your seat is in the middle of, of a long row. And you have to squeeze past everybody to get to your seat. And as you squeeze past people, you realize you're passing all sorts of people that you have never mixed before, never mixed with before. So there are, I don't know, Inuits and Africans and Vietnamese and Arabs and all, people of every color and tongue. And there are the well-dressed and those with holes in their clothes. And there are Catholics and Pentecostals and trumpet-carrying Salvationists and Seventh-day Adventists and, I don't know, people from the redeemed true church of the glorious line of Judah or whatever else else they want to call it. There are people from all sorts of different churches. They're all there. 
all of them plucked from their, from their original setting and brought into one common, shared, new space. And that new space is the basis for our theme today. That new space is the basis for reconciliation. Now, when we get to our reading, which starts in verse 11, chapter 2, Paul's imagery changes a little. I wonder if you'll just uh, complete the phrase for me. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, it's all very well us talking about you know, us being raised up to sit in the heavenly spaces. But you know, what does that look like actually here and now on earth? How do we get um, what is in heaven here now, God's will here on earth? Well, I think that's what Paul goes on to talk about in verses 11 to 22. Because these verses are also about us sharing a new space. But it is now pictured differently. It's not anymore a new space into which we are deposited, having been plucked out of an, a current setting. Instead, it's a new space created in the here and now by the breaking down of walls that used to define lots of separate spaces. Next slide, please. So in verse 11, Paul starts to talk about the most pressing division of his day. It's a division between Jews and Gentiles. Well, actually, he doesn't. He actually talks about the difference between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Again, he's talking about those who are commonly in the church. You will know that the Jews and the Gentiles and non-Jews, they traditionally existed in their own separate spaces. And we can imagine that in the church, the Jewish Christians still believe their Jewish heritage gave them some sort of uh, unique right to a relationship with God. They didn't want anything to do with the Gentiles, you know, the non-Jews, whom they deemed to be unclean. And you can imagine the Gentile Christians in the church, they kind of saw the Jewish Christians as a bit supercilious and uppity with their sort of ideas of superior access to God. They didn't want anything to do with the Jews because the Jews had consistently denounced them as unclean. But in verse 14, it says that Jesus has made the two groups, Jew and Gentile, he's made them one and has destroyed the barrier that was between them, the dividing wall of hostility. So Jesus makes one new humanity out of the two, and he does so by knocking down the wall that was between them. Elsewhere, Paul says, now there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Jesus knocks down the wall between them, encircles them both, and reconciles them all to God through the cross. In other words, Jesus brings them all together as one group into the presence of the Father, mending the broken relationship between God and every one of them. So each of them, Jew or Gentile, find that the walls and boundaries that marked them off from each other, which made them closed and tribal and insular and self-focused, those walls have disappeared. And suddenly, an infinitely more important common relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ defines them. In other words, they suddenly find themselves in the new space that Jesus has created. They may be horrified to discover whom they have to share the new space with, but hey, there it is. By being reconciled to God together, they discover they are also to be reconciled to each other. Can't have one without the other. 
And this all makes sense, and forgive me because I've talked about this before a few years ago, but this all makes sense if you think about the image of the temple, which, which Paul, as a, as a Jew himself, would be familiar with. So uh, you remember the temple, you have the, uh, the Holy of Holies, which, which marks off the uh, presence of God, and in front of that is a thick curtain, and then you have the court of the, the Jews. Uh, in, in front of that, there is a wall. And then you have the court of the women, that is uh, Jewish women, and in front of that is a wall, and then you have the court of the Gentiles. And we know from the Gospel stories, Matthew in particular, that when Jesus died, the curtain was torn in two, so the curtain's gone. And elsewhere, Paul says, in Christ there is neither male nor female, so that, so that wall has, has gone as well. And we're reading now that Jesus has also destroyed the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. So, so all of those walls are gone. And if you take away dividing walls, what do you end up with? You end up with a new space, a space that looks quite different from the old space. Has anybody watched Grand Designs? I, I, I like a bit of Grand Designs. Ali's not so keen, so I don't watch it all that often. <laughs> but, you know, you know the, the, the general story is that, that, that some imaginative person buys some pokey old, I don't know, mill or farmhouse or water tower or manor or something like that and starts to transform it and uh, they knock down all sorts of walls and put up you know strengthening beams and so on and so forth and usually at the end of the program Kevin McLeod he comes back to see the finished article and he says wow look at this amazing new space you have created by knocking down these walls what a wonderful vista out to the countryside and what a wonderful living area you've got and so on and so forth this beautiful new space is created when the walls disappear and it's interesting, we can apply that a little bit to Alton Baptist Church. So I'm used to Alton Baptist Church having an aisle down the middle and people on the left and people on the right, an aisle at the back and people at the back. Three different groups. And it's kind of interesting that I walk in here today and we've got this, I say we've still got aisles, haven't we? But we've got this new space, if you like. Now between, between different people, there aren't so much dividing walls, there are still gaps. Perhaps if we get some chairs and we could, we could fill in these gaps... We can't with farm regulations, but you can imagine, okay? You can fill in these gaps, and as you put chairs in between these aisles, well, even more so, you've just got one common space, and those dividing barriers are gone. So Jesus makes peace by drawing everyone together to be his body, the church, and he reconciles all of us to God through the cross. In other words, we are unavoidably drawn together even as we are reconciled to God because we are reconciled through Jesus' body. So you cannot be reconciled to God and not become part of the one body of Christ. You cannot be saved unless you are saved along with everyone else. In short, you cannot be Christian and remain in your own separate zone because the barriers that define the zones have disappeared. There are no zones. There is just one new space. However, there remains a problem. You just look around the room or across the room at the moment, I wonder whether you are actually sitting where you normally sit. I don't know. In this new space, maybe you're not. Maybe in a year's time, you'll still be sitting in exactly the same seats. Who knows? My point is this. Being in one new space does not necessarily make a scrap of difference in practice unless, unless what? Unless you move. Unless you move. 
So next slide, please. Might be the one after this, I can't remember. Yeah, keep going, next one as well. And again. Oh, go back one. <laughs> go back one. You've got to move. To make the new space a reality, you've got to move. So have we got this then? So the foundation of our reconciliation is that Jesus has created for us one new space, which we all inhabit. All the division, hatred, spite, distrust, conflict, the bricks thrown and the bombs dropped, he carries it all upon himself when he dies on the cross. He destroys the power of that which divides, he breaks down the walls, and he makes this new space a beautiful reality. But to, to make it beautiful, you've got to move. And that, folks, is a theory lesson over. Okay, so that's a theory. So we're going to pause, and we're going to come back after a little interval, and we're going to think about what that looks like in practice. So um, uh, we're going to hear, I can tell you, you can stand up and stretch and talk to somebody. You can even move if you want. Um, you've got two minutes and 17 seconds, because that's the length of the song we're going to hear being played, which is called You've Got to Move. So let's have a chat, stretch your legs, because I've got 20 minutes to go. Jesus, we make that a reality by uh, moving together within it, moving towards each other within it. Let's think about that, uh, what it looks like a little bit. So there's nothing unique, you see, about the division between Jew and Gentile. It is simply the example that Paul had to hand at the time. It's hardly the pressing issue for Alton Baptist Church, I imagine, the great division between Jew and Gentile. The vast majority of us in here will be Gentiles. 
When it comes to different groups within OBC, well, what are the groups that are sharing this new space that Jesus has created? Is it a sharing between white British and black British? Between any British and anyone who's from a different country? Is it between, I don't know, founder members who've been here for ages and younger generation? Is it between the theologically conservative and the theologically liberal? Is it between gay and straight or affirming and non-affirming? Is it between those who've been vaccinated and those who haven't been vaccinated? Those who are happy to come here on a Sunday, those who are still cautious and would rather not at this time? Is it between the leadership and the rest of you? Or is it simply between, actually, those who always sit on this side of the church and those who always sit on that side, and you ever actually talk to each other? You know, the list of difference stretches on in an ever-increasing array, and I'll leave you to reflect for yourself, because individually we'll be different here. What are the groups, the ones that you can identify that you don't engage with? What are those groups? My point would be that the walls between you or the aisles between you. You know, theologically, the, the walls are knocked down. The aisles are filled in. The only thing keeping us apart is that we don't move. Because Jesus has done the rest. So let's take different cultures by way of example. And I want to say something really important, by the way. Though Paul says there is neither Jew nor Gentile, he means that in Christ... There is no hierarchy, no difference in status or value. He doesn't mean that we erase all difference. A Jew cannot get rid of their Jewish ancestry and heritage, and a Gentile is always a Gentile. So the differences remain, it's just that Jesus reconciles them. So I think our reading is reminiscent, just think about this for a moment, of the Genesis story. Our reading says that Christ creates one new humanity out of two. Do you remember the Genesis story uh, about marriage? Talking about Adam and Eve, where uh, two are made one. Adam and Eve, they still they remain separate and individual and different, and yet they are made into one new unity. This is what, what God seems to do. He makes difference. He makes diversity. God creates diversity. Look at the world around you. And yet, in Christ, he brings them to be one. He reconciles them. So the differences remain, but Jesus doesn't erase them. He reconciles difference. And the reason this is important is because we who are white, speaking to those of you who are at the moment, just for a moment, and especially British white, we tend to think that reconciliation means that, that, that we welcome everyone else, black, Asian, any kind of foreigner. Now, great, you know, welcome is, is good and it's great, absolutely fine. But normally that means we white people expect black and brown people to fit in with our culture. They have to move to join us. Uh, uh, you know, of course they're welcome in our churches, we white people say, but in brackets we're saying as long as they behave like we do and worship in the way we want to. But you know, you've got to move. If you want to make reconciliation between different peoples a reality, you've got to move. Which means exploring other people's cultures, which means understanding their Christian story, which means making space for them to shape what we do as well as we shape what they do. 
You know, in 2005, um, uh, an Indian pastor came to stay with me for uh, four days. Oh, it's so exhausting. <laughs> it was such hard work. I mean, he was, I mean, he was properly Indian, by which I mean he had no idea what culture expected of him in, in Britain. And it was, it, was, it, was, it was exhausting, wasn't it? And we tried our best to help him to fit in, but it was hard work. A year later, I went to visit him in Chennai. And guess what? It was so exhausting. Because I didn't have a clue what they expected from me and their culture. But after his short visit here and my short visit there, we were just a little bit closer to understanding our cultural backgrounds, to understanding our, our starting point as we looked together at scripture, or as we just looked together at our communities, and we looked together at evangelism, whatever else it may be. We were a little bit closer to a meaningful sharing of our common life in Christ. A little bit more reconciled, you see. Or more simply, um, and where's Conrad? Conrad's here somewhere. He's with the kids. Okay, well, I did tell him I was going to use him as an example here. Okay, second time I met Conrad, he's from Cameroon. Um, It was in Costa in Acots Green. But I took with me um, a map of Cameroon printed out in a piece of A4 paper. So as we sat down, I could unfold it and I said to Conrad, well, tell me a bit about your home and, you know, the cities and the regions and the politics and blah, blah, blah. Because he had moved into my space. Here we were meeting in a Birmingham Western coffee shop. So the least I could do was move a little bit towards his space. And Conrad and I, we've been comparing our cultures ever since. Who knows, maybe in a different political climate, I actually might be able to go and visit his country. But you've got to move. You've got to move. And these, these moments of sharing space with different cultures where you really engage with them, I think they are, for me, some of the, they are the, the richest moments of my Christian experience in many cases. Not always easy, but, but very, very rich. So to be invited into the ceremonies and, and, the, and the intimacy of another culture is extraordinary. So I've, you know, memories in my mind, I've preached on a rooftop in Hyderabad, because <laughs> that's what they did in the evening and the sun's going down. I've sat on the floor and eaten goat curry with a group of men in Yemen. I've talked about stigma and shame in, uh, in communities with, with Christians in Uganda. I've listened to the lengthening and deafening prayers of blessing over a Nigerian baby who was being dedicated. I've sat with an Afro-Caribbean family as they mourn the passing of a loved one whose body was still present in the room. These are special moments. And you've got to move in order to find them. And you know, on this subject, just a quick advert. This afternoon, I don't know whether this has been generally known, but um, there's this thing going on at St Andrew's Football Ground. Just go back to that illustration of the, of the, of, of the sports stadium. Um, there's a service of reconciliation for racial justice at 3.45 um, till about quarter to six this afternoon at St Andrew's Ground. If you can go, it's a, free, it's a free thing. Just Google Time for Change Birmingham and the details are there. And it's, to be honest, it's a bit of a hassle going because it's a Sunday afternoon. I don't really want to go out on a Sunday afternoon. But, you know, we are going to go because I've got to move and share new space with other people rather than just expecting them to come to me on my terms. And so what applies to different cultures, you see? Well, that, that applies to different, well, different everything, really. And so the person whose view of the Bible is at odds with yours, you know, are you able to sit down and 
respectfully explore that together. Are you willing to move? Or the group of people you do never really mix with in church, are you willing to swallow your pride, and this is very difficult to do, and go and say, um, yeah, look, we've been in the same church for years, and frankly, I, I don't actually know very much about you. And what's your Christian story? And let me tell you mine. And the longer, um, the longer period it is that you haven't ever spoken to them, the harder that gets, isn't it? So you know, who will move? Who, who will break the pattern? Who will make reconciliation a reality? And I'm, I'm not for one moment pretending this is easy. You know, I've got no idea where we got to on the slides. Just move on one, if you will. Yeah, okay, it's hard. <laughs> of all the gifts Jesus has given us, I think reconciliation is one of the most difficult to receive and to make a reality. But look, in this week when an MP has been murdered, on, on the basis of difference, and in this day of polarised politics and divided ethnic and social groups and even racial and gender and political violence, what if the church were a distinctively reconciled community? A group where our common worship of Jesus was sufficiently important to make us work at being one people. And where we are resurrected people, raised up with Jesus, seated in a different place, as it were. And living together successfully, where there is simply more harmony and a greater commitment to respectfully working things out than there is in the world around us. Wouldn't a community like that be a prophetic community saying something to the people around us? And secondly, I don't know about you, but that is the type of community that I would be happy to invite my friends to. And I wonder if it's the same for you. Because, you know, why bother bringing them to a place which is as divided as anywhere else? We've got enough of that, thank you. Let's bring them to a reconciled place. Isn't that a prize worth the investment? Next slide. Next slide, I hope. It says, it's worth it. There we go. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? So, that's a vision. A reconciled community that acts as a prophetic symbol for, for, for Jesus' reconciliation of us with God in our communities. And it would be great um, to, to finish there. Next slide, please. It'd be great to finish there by just painting that picture of a united community where difference is embraced and we're reconciled with each other, willing to work out what it means to be in this new space that Jesus has made. However, if you'll just allow me another five minutes, there is another element to reconciliation, isn't there? And this isn't really mentioned by our passage. We're going to depart from the passage a bit here. Because the passage is about two groups who look at each other with suspicion and prejudice, and it's about them coming together. But what about the other aspect of reconciliation? What about when someone has actually done you wrong? You know, what about when the, the dividing wall isn't about ethnic origins or different understandings of church or different political leanings? What about when the dividing wall is, is personal offence? Don't answer this out loud. <laughs> But who has upset you recently? Who are you angry with? Some of you may be angry with me. If so, I'm sorry about that. How can those, how can we be reconciled to those who have hurt or disappointed us? Well, goodness knows, I, you know, give me another couple of hours. We could talk about this in more detail. There's so much we could say we haven't got time for right now. But just a few pointers. And I just want to 
just want to put an advert out. If you're a kind of a theological mind particularly, there's a, a book written by a chap called Miroslav Volf called Exclusion and Embrace. This is in my top five theological books I've ever read. It's not a light read, but if you're in for a bit of deeper thinking, buy this book on this subject of reconciliation because it's fantastic. And I, I'm saying that because just a couple of things I'm going to say which are taken from that book. So the first thing is this. Reconciliation and forgiveness are two different things. You know that, yeah? They're two different things. Forgiveness can be offered by an offended person to someone who has offended them, who may be totally unrepentant about the offence they've caused or may not even be around anymore. So forgiveness can be one way, the forgiver offering forgiveness, even if it is never reciprocated. And this is really important to do this because by forgiving, we ourselves... Um, regain or sustain our dignity. Because if we don't forgive those who have offended us, they continue to hold power over us. We cry out for vengeance, and vengeance is not forthcoming, and so that unforgiveness eats away at us, and we are diminished. So forgiveness can be one way, and it is brave and demanding. It is a costly attitude of grace, really costly, but it does us good as the forgiver. And what Wolf says in this book, he says, by the way, we tend to think of forgiveness being an alternative to justice. You know, I can't get justice, so I'll have to forgive you anyway. He says, no, no, no. He says, forgiveness is the precursor to any justice because forgiveness shines a spotlight on the injustice. Because if I say to, forgive me, John, if I say to John, I forgive you, then I'm basically saying, John, you've done me wrong. You see that? You know, I can't say I forgive you without there being an implied injustice has been done. So forgiveness actually is part of that justice process. But reconciliation cannot be one way. You can choose on your own will to forgive someone. You cannot choose of your own will to be reconciled to someone. Because if they're not interested, you won't be reconciled. For reconciliation, you both got to move. And what Volf says is that reconciliation involves, uh, metaphorically, embracing, well, maybe literally, embracing the person who has caused this offence. And he says for an embrace to work, one person has to open their arms and wait, to offer and wait. And the other person has to step into those arms, and they both close their arms, and then they open their arms and separate again. He says that last part is important because you're not um, you know, waiting for someone you know, to come on your terms so that you can say, you really did do me wrong, but I'll give you a hug anyway, uh, you know, in some sort of superior way as if you're trying to trap them. No, you let them go again. You, there is this separation to be independent and free after that reconciliation. Because conflict is almost never caused just by one person offending the other. Almost never. It almost always involves more complexity than that. Normally both sides have offended each other. Normally both sides have got to move. But the great thing is that, that we move within this new space created by Jesus. He's rooting for you. The Spirit is there to help you. This new space is where Jesus has already welcomed all of us. It's where we worship Jesus together and bravely alongside each other seeking to repair what's been broken. So do you see the vision here? Can Alton Baptist Church be a community 
of reconciliation. Maybe you're being tested at the moment, but what about a place where groups can be brought together, but also where offence is dealt with and an embrace occurs? And there are lots of helpful techniques about helping you with this, about conflict resolution and all sorts of other things, and uh, we haven't got time for those today. They are available to look into about how we, how we do well that act of personal reconciliation. I do encourage you individually or maybe as a church to look at some of those. But I just want to finish with this. We are all novices in this area. I just want to say that. I think for me, in what, 20 years of ministry, I think I've been trying to live a life reconciled to others throughout that whole 20 years. I've been trying to work through differences. I've at times had to ask for forgiveness where I've wronged others, and sometimes I've had to offer forgiveness where I've been wronged. And I've tried to remember that both I and the people I might be in tension with have shared the same new space. And I've tried also to bring people together, but I still feel a complete novice in this area because it's difficult to do. And I want to say I haven't always managed it. And at times people have had enough of me and my attempts to have a dialogue with them and they've walked away from me. And on one or two occasions, I found the cost to me of offering ongoing dialogue too great. And I've chosen to step away from a relationship for my own well-being. In our imperfect world, there will always be failures where you move towards someone only for them to refuse or even abuse that offer of openness. Now, I just want to say, by the way, as in domestic relationships, so in church, if a relationship is abusive, then the offer of embrace will only be manipulated. In those instances, yep, you probably have to walk away. But look, most cases of tension and division in a church are not abusive. There's not abuse there. Let's be honest. There are just different cultures, different starting points, different reading of scripture, uh, often poor communication, a bit of insensitivity, and a failure to listen to the other side and what their conflict looks like from their angle. And in those cases, I want to say again, you've got to move. So some of you may want to take the risk of opening your arms to others, be it a different group or a different person. Some of you may want to bravely accept that offer of embrace. And when you both move, the beauty of the new space in Christ is revealed. So let me close just with some words from that Ephesians reading. I think it's on the screen, maybe it can't remember. For we are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit.